Hi, everyone. Welcome to Packers Unscripted from Packers.com. I am Mike Spofford sitting next to my trusted colleague, Wes Hodkowitz. We're coming to you here from our studios at Lambeau Field. And Wes, it's almost here. Sunday night football, Packers Chiefs, Arrowhead Stadium in prime time in week eight. And our final show of the week, that means keys to victory. So where do you want to start with this one? What do the Green Bay Packers need to do to come back 7-1. and one. Well, so much has been made this week, the quarterback situation, whether it'll be Patrick Mahomes or whether it'll be Matt Moore. At the end of the day, the weapons are the weapons on this Chiefs offense, though, and you have to account for them. So whether it's Sammy Watkins, Tyreek Hill, um, Hardman, the rookie, uh, you know, Travis Kelsey, again, having a phenomenal season, or even right. Sean McCoy now really stepping his game up as, you know, taking the reins as kind of their lead running back. There's so many different people that you have to stop. So even if it is Matt Moore in this game, the thing that I like about what Kansas City offers offensively is there's a lot of things that they can do to make the quarterback's life easier, and you need to be able to eliminate those weapons. So, you know, my biggest key for this thing is, one, being able to stop McCoy, not allowing Damian Williams to get going. He's, you know, he's had a rough go of it here the first six, seven weeks of the season. you got to, you know, keep him stymied. But if you're, a lot, if you're able to actually stop McCoy and make this thing one-dimensional and allow your safeties and, and, and cornerbacks to play to their strengths, that's going to go a long way because, as I'm sure something we'll be talking about, the fact that Darnell Savage was uh, practicing in pads on Thursday. Yeah. It wasn't just that it was a walkthrough on Wednesday that allowed him to be out there. He was good to go and cleared to be in that padded practice Thursday. So that signals that he's probably looking towards a return here. To have him back and Adrian Amos and you know being able to defend the middle of the field there is going to be critical, especially when you have weapons like Hill and Kelsey that really the Kansas City is really looking to take advantage of. Yeah, we've been talking about those weapons for Kansas City, and a lot of it is built on speed. Obviously, Travis Kelsey, not a speed burner, but for a tight end, yeah. is about as fast and athletic as it gets. And then you have your Tyreek Hills and your Sammy Watkins. I think on the defensive side of this ball, what I point to – for this game is to tackle because I think the Kansas City Chiefs, they're going to look to make explosive plays by making guys miss and generating big gains off of yards after the catch and things like that. And I think the Packers need to be on their P's and Q's with the tackling because Andy Reid is going to be able to scheme things up to get the ball to the guys that he wants to have the ball in their hands. But if you limit those catches to where the ball is caught, and not let those turn into the explosive gains that have hurt the Packers a lot over the last few weeks, I think the Packers' defense can can stay in here and, and hold their own regardless of whether it's Matt Moore or Patrick Mahomes. In the, most, the more I looked at the last month here and some of these games that they've played tight, the games have been tighter because they didn't allow the Chiefs to extend those plays. So whether it's Mahomes just in the pocket or whether it's a guy like Hill with the ball, now that he's back from the shoulder injury, you know, being able to work through those type of things is going to be, you know, critical. That, you know, if it isn't the first guy tackling, that you're at least getting a helmet there and allowing the rest of the group to come and charge. And, you know, it doesn't always have to be 25 solo tackles. It's, you know, group tackles, you know, count the same in the grand scheme of things. Yeah. But you cannot allow them to break to the second level. That was one of the issues they had with Josh Jacobs last week is that he just, when he got to that second level, he's so hard to take down. A lot of those guys between those, you know, the chains there, that's where they'll receive the ball. That's where they start to do their damage because of how they can get the yards after catch. So that I, I agree with you wholeheartedly. That's going to be one of the big critical points of emphasis for this game for Green Bay because the thing about Matt Moore is I'm not trying to say that he's a he, he, he's not a prototype of Mahomes by any means, 
but he's played in this league for a long time with over a thousand passes thrown, you know, and, and the number of, you know, starts that he had both in Carolina and Miami. The, the moment is not going to be too big for him. So, I mean, if you allow him to get, if let's say it is more and you allow him to feel good and confident and back in a swing of things early on, that can really be a recipe for disaster. Yeah, and you mentioned earlier that the Packers looks like they're going to get Darnell Savage back at safety in the back end here, the rookie first-round pick out of Maryland, and he's fast. And the best answer for speed on the offensive side is to have your own speed on the defensive side. And Jair Alexander, we're expecting him probably to get his share of Tyree Kill. But Darnell Savage is one of these guys that if he's if he's playing the deep middle, playing center field, he's going to have to chase the ball down. He's going to have to chase down these uh, these speedy weapons for the Chiefs. And as I said before, just prevent those big plays. Yeah, and this is a much better matchup for Green Bay than it would have been a couple years ago. I mean, they, I think that they are conditioned to match speed for speed now. There were some years where it was like that that could be a really big problem. But yeah. I think you've seen, even with some of these explosives they've had in recent weeks that they've allowed, you've seen Jair Alexander you know, running down uh, you know, receivers. You've seen Will Redmond being able to come back and make a play. They have the athleticism and talent to, to stay stride for stride for them. The big key for this game is going to be being back and getting on your technique, being able to know where your leverage is, and playing within the scheme so you don't allow those big gashing plays but afterwards, I mean, certainly they, they have the, the speed and that side-to-side, sideline-to-sideline speed to be able to account for a lot of the things that Kansas City is going to throw at them. Yeah, well, on the offensive side of the ball for the Packers, I know we're coming off of this game with Aaron Rodgers and the maximum passer rating 158.3, but to me, this matchup and the venue, Arrowhead Stadium and everything that goes into that, this game to me just screams run the ball, protect the ball. And we talked earlier in the week about Kansas City's run defense. They're allowing about 150 yards a game on the ground, about 5.0 yards per carry. Both of those figures in the bottom quarter of the league. As far as run defense, I think with the Packers and their one-two punch with Jones and Williams, they've got to get that going. They need to establish that and take advantage of that weakness in Kansas City's defense. And then really anytime you're on the road especially, but in an environment like this, primetime, Sunday night football, Arrowhead Stadium, a team that went to the AFC Championship game last year. Uh, there's no faster way to, to lose momentum than to turn the ball over. And right. the Packers have done a good job, obviously, protecting the football for the most part this year. That really needs to continue in this game. I, I, I say that also because whether it's Matt Moore or a limited or compromised Patrick Mahomes in some way, I think the Packers have a significant edge at quarterback in this game with Aaron Rodgers. And to me, anytime you have a significant edge at quarterback, if you protect the football and don't lose that turnover battle, you have a really, really good chance to win. And it's funny too, Mike, because you can go back and you want to look at all the different defenses and and strategies and players that the Packers have had over Aaron Rodgers' career as a starting quarterback now 12 years into this thing, is that it's taken the football away. When the Packers take the football away with the way that Rodgers takes care of it, it's been a recipe for victories. It's been what has allowed the Packers to, you know, be one of the league's most consistently winning franchises, you know, during Aaron Rodgers' tenure as a, as a, you know, quarterback here in the NFL. This matchup is interesting to me on a number of different levels because Mahomes sort of, everyone always says Mahomes reminds, it reminds everyone of Rodgers a lot, and it does. But he also has some of those, you know, Brett Favre qualities too. Yeah, definitely. He, he's not afraid to be a gunslinger. He's really smart with what he does. 
Um, but, you know, he is going to be prone to a couple more mistakes than I would say Rodgers is a lot of times. The thing that's going to be really interesting about this matchup, let, okay, let's just say Mahomes ends up playing in this. Again, I've stated my opinion on this. There's a lot for this young man to play for, and there's a lot that Kansas City's playing for in this season. I would think it wouldn't be the smartest of measures, but let's say that's the route they take. I, I very easily could see this being a shootout. I very easily could see this be a game where the Packers' defense still plays really well um, just because of how this game is, is set up and how things are, are looking. Offensively, though, I think where the Packers truly get the edge is their run game. Mm-hmm. I, I think with Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams and the performance that they're coming off of here the last few weeks when it's had to be both of them, when it's had to be one of them, the way that they've stepped up and risen to the occasion – has been sort of that difference maker. And when I think, getting back to my main point here, the best years Aaron Rodgers has had is when that running game is at its best. And I think that's what, when you talk about all the different factors and things that went right for the Packers and things that went wrong, but realistically, when I think of 6-1, and one, I think of how the offense has found an equilibrium, has found a balance, and it's a credit to Aaron Jones and Jamal Williams. And I think those two guys don't let up. Yeah, I when I say... And I just want to be clear when I say I think the Packers are going to have a significant quarterback advantage in this game. That's if Patrick Mahomes plays, I don't think we're going to see the MVP Patrick Mahomes. Right. We're not going to see the guy who can scramble all the way out to the right boundary and throw the ball back to the left hash. We're not going to see the guy who can roll to his left and then open up and throw back across his body at some weird arm right. angle on the move and hit somebody like Tyreek Hill in stride, cutting back across the other way. I just, if Mahomes plays, I just think it's going to be a, a compromised Mahomes. It's not going to be the MVP Mahomes, and that's where I, you know, run the ball and protect the ball. I think that's what wins this game. Yeah, and that's Bay. why, and again, we're going to find out probably 90 minutes before this game begins on Sunday night, but I, I just don't see why, other than subterfuge and all those, you know, different kind of sleight of hands that Kansas City be, could, could be trying to use. I don't see why you do it. I don't see why you go that direction, especially considering Matt Moore actually looked pretty good last week, I felt. I mean, he's not Patrick Mahomes, but he also didn't look out of place there. He looked like he could have effectively run this offense, and considering he wasn't on this roster two months ago today, yeah, I think that actually spoke, you know, speaks pretty well of him and what he's brought to the table. Yeah. Well, a couple other things to touch on here with regards to – we've been – speaking all week about the venue and Arrowhead Stadium and everything like that. A couple things to keep in mind. One, the Chiefs are 5-2, and two, but you know what? Their two losses are both at Arrowhead Stadium, right. which you wouldn't think when looking at uh, things on paper, but it's true. They lost back-to-back home games to, I believe it was the Colts and the Texans, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah. So kind of strange in the sense that the team that was the number one seed in the AFC and had the home field and the playoffs and everything throughout last year has already lost two home games this year. On the other side of that, for the Green Bay Packers, you look at the last quarter century of Packers history, and if you were to rank the you know top five or six regular seasons the Packers have had in that time, one of them would, two of them, I should say, would definitely be 2011 and 1996. And those both happened to be years that the Packers lost at Arrowhead Stadium, even though it was one of the the better seasons in recent history for this franchise. So a couple of things with regards to this location and the the recent history and the history in the past and everything going on that that make this a little more interesting. Who was the quarterback in 96? Was that Elvis Gerbach? 
It wasn't. Joe Montana was already done. No, Montana was gone by then. It might have been Gerbach. I'd have to look yeah. it up for sure, but you're probably right on that. Uh, but it is funny. I mean, I as a kid, I remember that game a little bit. I remember, you know, because obviously you see Arrowhead and you just have the bright red uh, colors in it. And, and certainly that was a you know demoralizing day for little Wes Hodkowitz. But <laughs> um, no, I mean, and you go back to 2011, I can actually tell you where I was. I wasn't watching the game in 2011. I was at a local fabric shop with my wife. She oh. was trying to put together this project project for school and uh i remember following it on my phone for fantasy football reasons and just to see how the game was going you certainly were there and you, like it was just one of those things where those type of games you get that feeling in the first half like okay it's a slow start and then you get into the third quarter and it's like okay this isn't a slow start anymore and in the fourth quarter it's oh this is getting kind of dangerous yeah and i think one of the things and a lot was made out of that the two shell some of the adjustments that romeo cornell made that you know some defenses down the line and ended up exploiting for a minute. And Cornell was an interim, interim coach, coach at the time, right? Because yeah, because Todd, what was it, Todd Haley had already been fired? Yeah, the Chiefs were going through a transition there, and uh, and the Packers obviously were 13-0, and 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 the winning streak came to a, a winning streak that was actually 19 games yeah, dating back. back to uh, to the finish to 2010 that ended with the championship. The Packers had won 19 games in a row, and that streak ended at Arrowhead. Yeah, and the thing that stands out to me, other than the fact that the adjustments that Cornell made in you know, a very game Kansas City team, team was when even when you're a down season like that how much that crowd ended up ultimately getting behind them because of what it meant and the, the run the Packers had been on at that point Mike I was in the the locker room for every home game running quotes and I just remember every single week and Clay Matthews to his credit often said you know the next one's only as good as the last one yeah so we got to keep winning for this to matter but there was a public sentiment nationally that, okay, this is a team that's just going to run through everybody. <laughs> and then Kansas City very humbly reminded them that, no, on any given Sunday, this anybody can NFL. step up. Yep. And that, day, yep. that venue, that day, uh, that was my lasting takeaway. It was just how rocking it was by what was sort of a cataclysmic upset. Yeah. Well, in the big picture here and now for the Green Bay Packers, they need to win to get to 7-1 and one and stay alone in first place in the NFC North because on Thursday Night Football, the Minnesota Vikings – took care of business, not the prettiest game in the world, but a win is a win is a win, as they yeah. say. 19-9. to nine. The Vikings are 6-2 and two at the halfway point, so the Packers, if they want to remain by themselves atop the NFC North, they need to get to 7-1. and one. Your thoughts on uh, the Thursday night game? Unfortunate for the Redskins and for Packers fans who were rooting for Washington to, to pull the upset. When Case Keenum went out of the game and Dwayne Haskins went in, the rookie out of Ohio State, it just, uh, for whatever Washington had going on offense, it all kind of disappeared. And for as valiant an effort, I guess I would say, as Washington's defense put up against a Minnesota offense that was lighting people up the last few weeks, Washington's defense kept them in the game, but their offense just couldn't do enough. Yeah, and it's unfortunate too, because I don't know if you remember... The player that jumps off to my mind right at the top of my head is Steve Smith here, and I'll tell you what I'm trying to get at. Um, right at the beginning of his career, I, if I remember correctly, I think Carolina was actually working through some stuff. They were trying to find their quarterback. And, you know, you kind of get those players every once in a while, those skill position players, where it's like, okay, this guy's pretty good. Yeah. If we could just get him to somebody to throw him the ball. Man, I really get that feeling with Washington's Terry uh, McLaughlin. Yeah. McLaren. McLaren, yeah. Uh, Gosh, that kid is explosive. And yeah, he's, he's really come on the scene, hasn't he? Yeah, and if he could just get him somebody to consistently deliver him a football, I think that guy is going to be really special for Washington. I, you know, part of me too, after watching that game, uh, the highlights back, 
I also think, too, that a guy like Adrian Peterson, he used to always talk about how he wanted to play to 40, and then I highly doubted that for a while, especially when he was, like, the third-string running back in New Orleans. But the way he's running now, yeah, he doesn't have the explosive speed anymore, but he still has the power to move piles. So the point I'm trying to make here is Washington has some players. They just don't have yeah. a quarterback. And then Case Keenum maybe could have potentially been able to keep them in the game to, to win a close one. He ends up leaving with the concussion. Well, Keenum was Keenum was moving the ball yeah. for this offense early on. Managing. They, they kept getting yeah. into goal-to-go situations, and they couldn't get the ball in the end zone, and they were settling for field goals. And so you're thinking, okay, if they can keep moving the ball and then eventually cash in, They'll stay right there and maybe have a chance to pull the upset. And then in the second half, Keenum's out of the game. They say he's in the concussion protocol, and uh, really Washington just didn't have a chance, even though Minnesota's offense, while efficient when you look at all the numbers, was not the explosive piling up the touchdowns unit that it had been the last few weeks. Yeah, and there's a part of me, too, that wonders if Washington kind of did this to themselves because, I mean, they were talking all week long about, okay, Keenan's going to be the starter but we're going to have Haskins as the number two because he's the future. And a part of me is kind of like, I just, I mean, if Colt McCoy is in that situation, right. I think you feel yeah, a little you bit wonder. better. Yeah, Certainly you he's coming back from a significant injury, and I know things didn't go great for him for the first game back when he had to play. But, yeah, I just I, Haskins looks like he's out of place right now. But, I, you know, we got to talk about Minnesota for a little bit. To be in a position now that they're six and two and working through some of the stuff that they've worked through, I four I, game winning streak after a two and two start. A lot of people questioning what was going on in Minnesota, including some people in their own locker room, questioning what was going studio. on there. Yeah, <laughs> questioning what was going on there at two and two after the the loss in Chicago when their offense just did not look like it had anything going for it. And uh, but a different story now in Minneapolis a month later. Yeah, and that's why I ended up saying an insider inbox yesterday in one of my posts that we make so much out of you know Mike Zimmer's defense, but Mike Zimmer, the head coach, is pretty darn good too. And for him to be able to rally the troops at a time in which it seemed like this is all falling apart, and I know I myself personally, I was wondering, oh man, if this doesn't go the way they needed to, what does this mean for Zimmer? And here they are now, sitting six and two, and still in the thick of this thing, and. You know, looking at how their schedule lines, there's some tough matchups on there, but there is an element of controlling their own destiny, too, with that slate of NFC North games to close out the season. Well, and I think Zimmer has uh, learned some lessons over the years, too, in terms of that leadership and in terms of, of directing the ship, so to speak, because I remember a few years ago, the Vikings were 5-0. and They went to Philadelphia. Their offensive line kind of fell apart. Sam Bradford got sacked a whole bunch of times. It was their first loss of the year. They were 5-1. and And Zimmer went to the podium after the game and completely ripped his offensive line. You know, there was a leadership question there because the Viking season did fall apart. They ended up 8-8, and and you wonder, you know, I just, I I agree with you. I I think Zimmer is a really good head coach in what he's doing with this team now. But this is also a little bit different Mike Zimmer head coach than from a few years ago when, no, no. I, th- when I think he made some mistakes. I, I agree with you on that. I also would say I don't think the words mattered ultimately with that offense. That offensive line was bad. I mean, that was no. a bad offensive line. But you're right. You but need they to were still but, prop but, your guys but they up were mentally. Five, they were 5-0. and oh. They yeah. were 5-0, and oh and they had lost one game, and those guys were sitting there saying, our head coach just – completely threw us under the yeah. bus and we're five and one like what do you want Zimmer was way too emotional but it was funny because I remember watching them earlier in that season when they were five and oh and I'm like 
oh man, they're five and zero despite that offensive line, and then yeah. things started going the wrong direction for them. They were older. They need to make some adjustments. But a credit to Rick Spielman, they did. I still think there's some room to grow for that offensive front. There but is. I'll tell but, you what. But they're pl- they're playing they're the way playing Mike together. Zimmer wants to play, which is to have a running game that is very reliable. They've got two run. I mean, Dalvin Cook is spectacular, and then Madison, the rookie, as their number two, is pretty darn solid as well. Yeah, and the other thing I want to just point out too before we wrap this thing up is that when they did sign Kirk Cousins, there was also like there was this understanding that we have to protect this guy. So I mean, with the the, the shifts that they've made and the investments they've made in the line and the young group that I think is growing together, and then you know regardless of how the passing game has gone for them, they've been able to run the football consistently each week. That's a credit to the line. That's obviously a credit to Delvin Cook. And it's a credit to the fact that Minnesota, even though they had to work through some stuff early in the season, is still very much in this divisional race. Yeah, well, we shall see what else happens in the NFC North here. The Lions are playing the Giants. The Bears trying to right the ship as well. They are playing the Chargers, which is uh, who are Green Bay's opponent yeah. the following week, so a lot to keep an eye on here. But yeah, you, ha- you kind of start to feel like the Lions and the Bears, they need to get things turned around here if they want to stay in this with the with the Packers and the Vikings because uh, you know the worst case scenario for the Packers is six and two. The Vikings are already six and two at the yeah. midway point, and uh, these other these other teams can't fall too much farther Yet behind. The Lions have to win this uh, against the Giants. They just have to. There's no way fans or butts around it. I mean, you look at where the Giants are right now. They certainly look like they found a quarterback. The quarterback they can build around, but that team has a lot of holes. Most of them on defense. Yeah. Detroit, if they are the team that they think they are, that they can put up the signs saying that they got you know messed out of that that win against Green Bay you need to ultimately beat these teams because you didn't get the job done last week and now you got a Giants team that can be explosive staring at you in the face and then with the Bears I think that's just such an interesting game as we talked about earlier this week because Chicago I think still has potential to be better than a 500 team oh yeah I think so too as you even said I mean the Chargers are not a two and five team no they're not and somebody's going to walk out of Soldier Field feeling pretty bad about themselves. So, yeah, that's that's a critical game in this thing. And, uh, yeah, there's a lot of gut check games this week. Philadelphia having to go to Buffalo, you know, that's a good it's, – it's, it's a win that Buffalo, I think, needs to have to prove that they are a 6-1 team. Yeah. But there's Philadelphia not wanting to fall two games below 500. So, yeah, there's – throughout the league this week, a lot of intriguing matchups with some pretty big implications going into the midpoint of the season. Yeah, and with that – We'll call it a wrap on this edition of Packers Unscripted. Be sure to follow all of our coverage of the team and of everything going on Sunday night at Arrowhead Stadium on Packers.com. You can subscribe to us, like us on iTunes and other podcast services on Twitter. He's at Wes Hod. I'm at Mike Spofford at Packers for the team account. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next time.